So glad to have everybody. And uh, once again, as Pastor was saying, that we're talking about living like Jesus. And he read the scripture from Galatians uh, for us. And, and there are four things that we've been asked to do in this series of lessons. And, and uh, the first thing is read. We remember what we're supposed to be reading. Somebody tell me. The Gospels, that's right, reading the Gospels. We're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be coming, of course. And then we're supposed to be caring. And um, that's kind of funny because when I, I thought about what I was going to talk about this morning, uh, my, what came to me, what the Lord gave me was living carefree. And we're supposed to be caring, right? Well, the English language is, a, is sometimes a strange language. I can think of about four different definitions for the word care. Somebody give me one. Just, just yeah, it's group participation, folks. Give me one, one definition for care. Taking care of others. See, there's a caregiver right there. That, that's what comes to her. Somebody else, right quick. Concern, exactly. There's about four different definitions. Now, if you want to find out what we're talking about today, it's not not the same as what we're supposed to be doing. And what we're supposed to be doing uh, in these weeks is is caring, being concerned for others, and, and, and seeing to others' needs, that sort of thing. That's the kind of caring we're supposed to be doing. Now, I'm going to be talking about care this morning that we're not supposed to be a, a part of. And, and we can explain that a little bit better now, well, first of all, let's, let's, just, let's just say, if I say I'm carefree, what do you think the world's going to think when I say I'm, I'm just going to be carefree? Well, they're thinking, you know, party hardy because there may be no tomorrow. Uh, you know, I just got rid of my old lady or my old man, you know, or whatever. And so I'm going to be carefree from now on. It's not true, by the way. And, and you know, uh, I just won the lottery. So life for me from, from now on is going to be carefree. That's what the world thinks. And in every example I just gave you, it's a lie. It's not going to happen. You know how I know that it's not going to happen? Because in Job, the 14th chapter, verse 1, the, the Job says this, that if a man is born of woman, and I think that applies to all of us in here, that our days are few and they're full of trouble. It's just the way life is. We're not going to get around it. That's part of life. So we're, we're kind of, we're seeing that, that you can't live carefree in a certain sense. But I want to explain this care a little bit further by going to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you turn with me. Now, I don't have a PowerPoint. I'm going old school this morning. So if you miss a scripture, just raise your hand and I'll repeat the scripture for you. 1 Peter chapter 5. It's interesting what Peter has to say about this. He says this. First of all, let's back up to uh, verse the, the last part of verse 5 in this, in this chapter. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I find it kind of interesting here that Peter apparently is quoting from his brother in the faith, James. Because if you go over into James, James says the very same thing. And since that the book of Peter was written after the book of James, I kind of think he probably was quoting from James. But he said this, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he, talking about God, may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now see, you see what I'm talking about in this one verse, we have the word care twice, and they mean two different things. The first one says, cast all your care upon him. Now, if you look up this word in the Greek, it could have been just as easily translated as anxiety. And as a matter of fact, there are some of our translations that actually is translated as anxiety. And um, uh, it, it kind of um, it lets you know this is not just cares of the world, but this is anxiousness. And then it goes on to say, he cares for you. So we're talking about over here where we got the definition that he is concerned about you, that he wants to see to your needs and, and that, that he wants your life to be good. So let's read this in a different way and using the same, by the way, these are two different words in the Greek. And, uh, and I'm not going to try to pronounce them Google it and look it up if you're that concerned about it. But, you know, my, my tongue doesn't work that well. So, <laughs> anyway, it says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, the anxiety, or he casting all your anxiety upon him, for he is concerned, or he loves you. Now, if we read it that way, which we're not taking away from Scripture. We're not adding to. We're just kind of bringing in some, some expanded definition of the Greek words there. And, and we find that it's, it's two different things. Now, stress can be a killer. Uh, we've got a, a, a doctor over here, and if you can go and, and talk to, talk to uh, Dr. Winberg, and she can tell you that, that stress causes high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke, causes digestive problems, gives you ulcers sometime. It causes <clears throat> intimacy issues, uh, you know, physically and emotionally. Uh, it can cause one to be uh, unpleasant to be around socially. As a matter of fact, uh, we can quote, uh, quote Pastor Sam right here, which says, it makes you rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. You know, that's what stress does in your life. And, and according to an article I read this week, it does something even more than that. It can shrink your brain. Now, somehow or another, there is a stress hormone called cortisol, I believe is how you pronounce it. And that when we experience high levels of stress, and there are this, these excessive levels of cortisol, if they, they remain there for very long, they can actually cause a decrease in your memory in your memory functions and in the volume of your brain mass and i thought wow no wonder in america we've got adults running around like 6 year olds oh my lord everything's crashing down on me you know it it amazes me but you look on television and these people are screaming and they're hollering you know and they're just the world's just mistreating me nothing's going right you know well they're under stress and, and, you know, sometimes we, we just want to wring their necks. But, but you don't, don't feel that way because it's really not their fault. If they don't know the Lord and they're under stress, this is going to happen. It's just the way life is. And, 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 you know, it's the way we were created physically. But, but Peter said this, casting all your anxiety upon him. Casting all your anxiety upon him. So when it comes to the point of anxiety, we can get rid of it. Now, what was it that Peter did before he became a disciple? Did anybody remember? Come on. He was a fisherman, exactly right. 
Now, I think it's interesting that Peter uses this analogy to getting rid of your anxieties because he said, casting all of your cares upon him. And so I went and looked up the word casting in the Greek. You know what it is? Casting. That's like throwing his net out. Peter was familiar with a net. He knew what you did with a net. You cast the net out there. Uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, it, it also can be translated as rolling over your anxieties on him. What I thought was interesting, when you look at Peter's analogy, if you're a fisherman and you cast your net out, what are you going to do with it? You're going to pull it back. You know, see if there's anything in your net. Isn't that the way we are? We cast all of our anxieties upon him, and the first thing you know, you know, we're pulling it back. We got we got to see what's in the net. Is there something in the net? You know, it, it's an interesting thing to me that that's the way we are, and and Christ knew that, and, and God knows that. That's just the way we are. So, if I cast my anxieties upon the Lord. I'm, I'm thinking, it's all over with, right? Wrong. It's wrong. Uh, the light's glaring in my glasses. I'm going to take them off just for a moment here. Um, you know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, and I finally, right here in, in this aisle, right here, the Lord spoke to me and said, don't worry about this, I've got it. That should have been all of it, right? That, I mean, you know, I cast my, my net out there and I cast it all on him and, and if you want to use the analogy of rolling it this is kind of like rolling a ball how many of you as parents sit down in the floor and, and you roll the ball with your, your small children and you roll it to them what they do? they roll it back and so in the middle of the night it's not surprising that as I'm laying there and I already know that the Lord's spoken to me and said I got this right? I trust the Lord. I know that he's got it because he told me that he did. I saw it in the word and he spoke a rhema word to me. I got this. So I was comfortable with that. But in the middle of the night, Trish is over here asleep. And I wake up in the middle of the night for whatever reasons. And an old man, you can just guess. And <laughs> so you wake up in the middle of the night and you lay back down. I know you know what I'm talking about, Tommy Winberg. And so you lay down in the, after you, you take care of your business in the middle of the night and you're staring at a dark ceiling and, and all of a sudden these thoughts, these thoughts, well, what? What if, you know? And the anxiety of, of all those things and, and thinking about how, how is my family going to be impacted by this, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. Lord, you already told me. Holy Spirit, you already spoke into my life and said, I've got this. So there in the middle of the night, nobody but me and God, I cast my net again. And that's what we have to do. If you're down in the middle of the floor rolling a ball back and forth with your child and you roll it to him and he rolls it back, you know, you take it, and you, but you don't hold on to it, do you? You roll it again. And that's what we have to do with anxieties, folks. You live in a world where there's anxiety around you on every side. There's financial. There's, there's political. Uh, my goodness. Let me just say this. Quit watching all that stuff. All it, do, all it does to me is it creates an anxiety in me. And you know, the Democrats hate the Republicans, and the Republicans hate the Democrats. And then you got the independents that hate all of them, you know. Quit it. 
you know, we be involved, but don't be stressed by it. And if it stresses you, and it does stress me, I'll be honest with you. So it wasn't too long ago, I just said, that's enough. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not watching it. I'm not listening to it. I'm not paying attention to it. I'm not going to read about it. it do, do I care? Yeah, I care. I care a lot. Do I care where my nation's going? Of course I do. And, and I'll be honest with you, it broke my heart just recently when I heard that the, the state of New York had passed this new abortion law that they can abort babies up to birth. I just, I cried like a baby in my living room when I heard that. I'll be honest with you, it broke my heart. But it wasn't just a little while that I was able to say, okay, God, I give it to you. I'm going to roll this anxiety over on you because I know that it's, it's affecting me. And, and I really can't do anything about it anyway. And see, that's the key to anxiety. You really can't do anything about it anyway most of the time. We're, we're, for the most part, powerless to change those things in your life that cause anxiety. Now, agree, there's some things that, that God's given us the power over. You know, we can, we can take control of our finances. We can do a lot of things that, you know, cause anxiety. And we can kind of move in, in positive steps. But listen, you're not going to get rid of anxiety by yourself. Promise. You're not going to do it. But if you cast, you cast your anxieties upon him, he can help you deal with it. Now, we're, we're all susceptible to anxiety. And you say, how do you know that? Well, there was a group of fellows that walked with Jesus for three and a half years, day after day, 24 hours a day, and they got anxious. Now, last week, we heard Josh talk about feeding of the multitude, right? And when they saw these people out there, and it was getting close to dinner time, and they were all hungry, what did the disciples do? Jesus, what are we going to do? I don't think we don't have enough money to feed all these people. And, and they cast it on Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He said, what have you got? And then he began to work the way Jesus works in our life. Now, their anxiety was no problem from him. So, and that's what we're talking about this morning. We're in a series of talk, uh, talking about living like Jesus. And folks, until we can get control of the anxiety in our life, we'll never live like Jesus. And I want to take you to a chapter that just began to pop this, this couple, last couple of weeks for me. And, and I'll be honest with you, um, I'll try real hard to get you out of here by 1 o'clock. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Although, <laughs> it really is amazing. Um, Luke, the 8th chapter. If you'll turn me with me to Luke, we're going to be kind of camping out in Luke today. I'll give you just a minute to get there. Now, in Luke... There is a um, really a capsulized picture of how Jesus lived and how that we're supposed to live. Now, the first thing you get in Luke is um, well down at the the talking about the uh, oh let's see the fourth verse. He was talking to a great multitude. It says, and he talks about the parable of the sowers. Now, I'm not going to go into that this morning. Don't have enough time. I'm just going to look at it just just briefly. And, and as he 
talking about the parable of the sowers. We all know that he talks about uh, the seed being scattered on the, you know, uh, and, and the sower scatters some of it on the pathway, some of it on stony ground, some of it on the thorns, and, and some of it got in good ground and produced great fruit. And, and that's a quick summary of what we're doing. But as, as he got through with that, his disciples came to him and, and asked him, he said, in verse 9, he says, what does this parable mean? Now, this is a key for me. If you don't know what the word is saying, if you, you can't quite get a grip on what the Lord is saying in the word, ask him. James said, if, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And, and you have not because you ask not. You know, so if you have a problem trying to understand a certain thing uh, in the word of God, the best thing to do is go to the source. And it says, Jesus is the word. He is the word. He's the living word. So go to him. Explain this to me, Lord. Make it real to me uh, so that I understand it and so that, so that it gets down in me that I know exactly not only what the words are saying, but what the Word is saying. You know, it's the difference between what the words say and what the Word says. So, anyway, I'm not going to go through this whole parable, but I do want to go to the third part of this parable. In uh, verse 14, let's everybody skip down to verse 14, Luke the 8th chapter. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with what? Cares. Riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. That goes on to talk about the ones that fell on good ground. I want you to notice something. When you, you're doing your study in this at home, and, and I would love for you to go back and, and look at this. In, in the first two examples of this parable, it, it talks about one of them never gets to grow in the first one, and the second one falls on stony ground and withers and dies. Okay? But the third one, it says where it's choked with weed, never says that the plant dies. Notice that. But what it does say is it does not bring forth fruit to maturity. And that tells me that we as Christians better watch this one because we can get caught up in the cares of the world or the pleasures of the world for that matter and we can get involved in it and your life, you can still be a Christian but you're growing among the thorns and your life will never produce the fruit that God wants you to produce. You'll still be there you come to church and sit on the pew, but you just won't have the fruit. When we stand before the Lord, that's, that fruitless stem, the, the, the Word tells me that, that there will come a time when, when those things that, that we present to God, that's hay and stubble, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be burned up. But we want to be fruit producers, so we need to stay away from the thorns which are the anxieties of this life. Now, I said that everyone was susceptible to this. So let's go down uh, to read it. start reading at verse 22. And uh, we're going to camp out here for just a little while. Now, it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down upon the lake, and they were filling with water, 
and were in jeopardy, and they came to him and awoken him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. The brain's shrinking. They're under, they're under stress. Master, Master, we're going to die. Well, I got news for you and, and them too. Jesus was in the boat, right? The boat's not going to sink. Bulletin. And if, if Jesus is in your life, guess what? You're not going to sink. He's not going to let you. Don't run out crying, Master, Master, I'm perishing. Cast your anxieties upon him. So, next verse says, Then he arose, and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. You know, it doesn't even have an exclamation point there. Now, if it was Moses, it Wind, I rebuke you. Water, be still. I don't think Jesus did that. I think Jesus got up and he looked around. Oh, for goodness sakes. Wind, be still. Water, stop raging, you know. That's me. That's my imagination. I don't know. And, and you know, whatever he did, it stopped. And then what did he do? It says, they ceased and there was a calm. But he said to them, who's them? His followers that went with him every day of his life, 24 hours a day, they saw what he was capable of. They saw the miracles in his life every day. And what did he say to them? Where's your faith? You know, and you can say it several different ways. That's my emphasis, okay? Where's your faith? Why didn't you say, wind be still, waves be calm? You might say, well, no, we can't do it. Only Jesus can do that. Wrong, wrong. I'm going to tell you a real quick story. I'm trying to get through this real quick. Some of you have already heard this story. In um, 19, uh, when was it? 94, I believe, or 80, 84, 1984. Trish and I went on a motorcycle trip, riding our motorcycle across the Panhandle of Texas. You've been in the Panhandle of Texas, and, and you know, the wind blows all the time. And so we're riding the motorcycle, leaned over like this, because the wind's blowing from our left-hand side. So you're riding like this. A big truck will pass. You have to rock it up because he blocks the wind. If you don't, you're going to dive into the side of the truck. So you have to rock it up, and then when the truck passes, you have to dive back into the wind. That's how bad the wind was. And we carried everything that we needed to stop along the way and have a little, you know, our, our lunches were picnics and, and uh, that sort of thing. So we stopped at this roadside park, Panhandle of Texas, Decided to have this little picnic, and as we were starting to get our stuff out, we're putting it on the table. The wind's blowing crazy. You, you know, you, you try to put your, your paper plates down, and they're gone, you know. And, and so the wind was actually blowing so hard, we put a full can of Coke on the table. The wind blows it over and rolls it off the table. Come on. So we're holding everything down. You know how you do. I'm holding everything down, and Trisha's holding everything down on her side. And so... I asked the blessing. I said, Lord, you know, thank you for this food. Thank you for safety. Thank you for taking care of us, blah, blah, blah. And then I said this, and I will admit it was partially in jest. I said, now, Lord, if this wind is not really being a blessing to someone right now, we'd just appreciate it if you'd just stop it till we get through eating. And it just went just like that, stopped. And we looked at each other, and I thought, Whoa. And Trish looked at me and she just started laughing and says, 
you didn't really think you'd do it. And I said, no, I didn't. I mean, I was just, but God was teaching me a lesson. It's really, I'm serious. I'm, I'm here to tell you that I mark it down to this day as a great lesson from God. Had our lunch, nothing. I mean, the wind was just still pleasant, you know. Finished lunch, put everything on the table, got up to clear the table, and the wind cleared it for me. And so Trish says, why didn't you ask him to stop the wind for the rest of the day? And I said, who knew? (laughs) You know, so God was teaching me a lesson that we do have authority. There's no reason to be anxious over it. Listen, we live in an area that that on the news, you know, you can hear about such and such storm headed for southeast Texas or whatever. Don't be anxious. Don't do it. Don't let that get into your life and and cause anxiety in your life. Cast it over on him because really, when it comes right down to it, you don't have to be a part of it. I remember when uh, Hurricane Bonnie came in here and, and... our son Chad was a little guy at that time, and he, he just prayed. He did, you know, Lord, take care of our house. And, and when it was all over with, we didn't even have a limb laying in the yard. And he went to Trish, and he said, Mom, it's almost like there was a force field around our house. And she told him, there was, Chad, you prayed. And God took care. See, he, he didn't have enough sense to be, have uh, doubt in him, you know. He just had faith. And we're, sometimes we're supposed to be like that little child. Just be honest before God. And, and, you know, pray in great prayers that you may have heard. You know, you might pray your best, your best uh, Spurgeon prayer or your best D.L. Moody prayer. And God may not hear that at all. But you pray your best Jim prayer. God help me. I need you. And he hears us. He wants us to be real to him. So you don't have to know fancy words. You don't have to... You don't have to be able to have this great vocabulary. You just have to have an honest heart. And he hears us. Anyway, in uh, verse 25, we just read where it says, Where is your faith? And then the scripture says, And they were afraid and marveled, saying one to another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water. And they obeyed him. And I was praying about this this week, and as I read this scripture, the Lord showed me that the winds and the water are those unexpected events in our life that we, we have no control over. Sometimes things happen you just don't have any control over, and they cause great anxiety sometimes. But he has control over those things that we supposedly have no control over. The winds and the water, they didn't think they had any control over it all. But Jesus did. And if we're supposed to live like Jesus, and he lives in me, then I've got control over that. Because the word tells me that I've got the same authority that he's got because he's delivered it to us because we're part of the family of God. We're part of, he, he was the firstborn of many. And we're the ones adopted in. And we're given that same authority. So, You might not say, well, I don't know that we've got that same authority or not. I do. Because once again, the Lord spoke to me in this cancer thing. Whenever we thought it was gone and it came back, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you remember what happened to the fig tree when I came by and I spoke to it and I cursed it and it withered and died? And my thought was, well, yes, Lord, I remember that. He said, you've got that same authority. Start speaking to it. And from that day, I started speaking to it. 
I just went to the doctor this past week, by the way, and I'm cancer-free. <laughs> to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Now, this is not the first time I've gotten this report. This has been like three times in a row now, cancer-free. Well, aren't you concerned it'll come back? Well, if it does, God said he's got it. You know, so I'm not going to pull my net back in looking for something. I'm going to keep casting it out there. So anyway, uh, I've got, oh, I've got time. Man, I'm going to go ahead for a little bit. I wanted to do this. and I didn't know if I was going to have time. Let, uh, let's continue on in, in chapter 8 of Luke. I love this. And this has just been coming alive in me this week. Because this, is, this shows me, it showed me, the complete scope of the power and the authority that Jesus had. Now, I'm just going to kind of, uh, uh, this is a lot of reading here from uh, verse uh, 26 to uh, verse 39, I guess it is. So I'm just kind of going to summarize here. But um, you need to go home and read this. You, you really need to get this down. In, and they went and they sailed into the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee, and when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Okay. Here's the disciples. Same day, okay? Here's the disciples. They get off this lake. They thought they were going to die out on the lake, you know, and, and Jesus has to, to raise up and say, peace be still and calm all this. And, and here they were. I'm sure they were thinking, oh, thank you, Lord, that here we are on the, on the shores of, you know, and, and we're not worried about the, the lake anymore. And guess what? Ah, come screaming out of the tombs, this naked guy, you know, and uh, that would bother me, you know. And he was full of demons, been full of demons for a long time. The scripture indicates where it says that, that he wore no clothes. This verse in the Greek implies that he hadn't worn clothes for a long, long time. And I'm sure he was dirty and, and, you know, no telling what his hair looked like and fingernails. And, and he probably looked like a, more of an animal than a, than a human being. And he wore no clothes. That's an important scripture. Whether you, whether you first look at it and you don't think so. Does anyone know what the word righteous means? Rightly clothed. That's exactly right. The word righteousness means rightly clothed. Now, if we read this into this, into this passage right here, we find that this man coming out of the tombs in the Gadarenes, he was unclothed and he was full of demons. He had no righteousness whatsoever. And the demons were tormenting him, and they, they were so strong in him that they couldn't bind him. He broke all the chains and all the bindings they put on. They couldn't hold him. So, here's my thought. Jesus is standing here very calm, you know, and the disciples are behind him going, you know, what is this? Well, to make a long story short, Jesus began to talk to this. And, and it's interesting that he asked what his name was. Now, the man didn't tell him his name, but the demon spoke from him and told him, said, our name is Legion, for we are many. Now, in, in uh, the Roman legions, the, a legion was from 3,000 to 5,000, depending on uh, 
uh, what the number was at that particular time. So we, could, we can very easily assume there may be an, as many as 3,000 demons in this man, uh, which is hard for me to even imagine. But he did have superhuman strength. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't even bind him with chains. He would break the chains. But folks, what, what's interesting to me is when he asked the name of who he was speaking to, he wasn't speaking to the man. He was speaking to the spirits. And, you know, a lot of times we get so aggravated and irritated at, at, at people who are unbelievers. And we, we just, oh, you know, I just can't stand that person or whatever. Remember who you're speaking to. We're not, we're not really speaking to that person. We're speaking to that thing in them that causes their spirit to be the way that it is. And they very well may be stressed out as anybody. And they need to cast their anxieties upon him. You know, so when you, you come across these folks that you, you just can't hardly bear to be around because they just rude, crude, and socially unacceptable, you know, ask who we're speaking to, you know. In, in, in the spirit, I'm saying, don't, don't go up to them, and, you know, because that might set them off. But anyway, yeah, you need to know and you need to understand that sometimes we're speaking, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. So anyway, uh, you ask him their name, Legion, there's many of them. And uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, they fell down before him in, in a, a verse, in verse 28. This guy fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do, do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? This guy didn't know Jesus, but the demons in him did. And they said, I beg, don't torment me. Don't torment me. And, and you know, they were said, don't send us to the abyss. Did you know that right now, that in the abuso is what the Greeks is, that chained up and confined are the worst of the demons. The worst of them. Not even the worst of them are loosed on the earth right now. How do I know that? Read over in Revelation where it talks about releasing those demons from the abuso and they, cause and, uh, they come out and they cause all this pain and suffering on the face of the earth during the time of tribulation, great tribulation. So they were saying, hey, don't send us to the abyss, please, because there's some bad demons down there. And rather than be disembodied, they preferred to go into the swine, which, by the way, were not supposed to be kept by Jewish people, but they were, so they were disobeying the laws of, of Moses. And so they went into the swine. What happened? The swine jumped off the cliff. Now, they had rather be in a swine than be disembodied, and the pigs had rather be drowned than have the demons in them. I mean, you know, that's the way we are. <laughs> so, anyway... Um, the people in the, in the area there, they decided they didn't want Jesus around anymore because he was bad for the economy. You know, he just killed off a, a money crop there the, with the pigs. And so when they came to him, they found him sitting with this man, the Gadarene man. And does anybody remember how they found him? Fully clothed. Fully clothed, which means that he had, through Jesus gain righteousness. My righteousness, folks, is as filthy rags. That's what scripture says. 
but I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I am so grateful and thankful for that. And you are too. He is so good. So anyway, for those who are of you who are Bible trivia folks, I got one for you, okay? Who was the first man that Jesus ever sent out to preach the gospel? Was it one of the 12? No, I'll give you a hint. No, it wasn't. Was it one of the 75, or 70 that he sent out? No. It was the demoniac from the Gadarenes. That was the, read, read it for yourself. And well, well, we'll read it right now. And it says, uh, verse 39, Jesus said to him, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. So if anybody ever asks you who was the first evangelist that Jesus Christ ever sent out, you can tell them it was a demoniac or an ex-demoniac, a delivered demoniac. So he can use anybody he wants to use. He can deliver anybody he wants to deliver. And we have no great honor in our own selves, but our honor comes from the fact that Jesus lives in me and lives in you. We are blessed people because of that. Now, same day, all the people said, we don't want you here. You're bad for business. Go back to where you came from. So they got back on the boat. They go back to the other side. And so it was when Jesus returned, in verse 40, that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was ruler of the synagogue. Now, it doesn't say that he was um, a rabbi. It doesn't say that, that he was a great teacher. It said he was a ruler of the synagogue. And, and what this implies, and I did a little study on this part of it, that he was kind of like the president of the synagogue, that, that he was the guy that you needed to get in touch with if you had something that you wanted to, to do in the synagogue. In other words, he was the guy that made sure that they had rabbis coming in and made sure that the proper uh, uh, Old Testament scriptures were read at the proper time, that sort of thing. But he was a ruler and, and had a high standing uh, in the community. Now, it's interesting. By this time, the Pharisees and, and the rulers of the synagogue really didn't have much use for Jesus because he really wasn't, you know, giving them much, much honor and respect like they thought they demanded or thought they should have. And so it's interesting that he was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. Oh, I've got time to read this. Okay. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now, folks, no matter what your prejudices are, no matter what the political environment is, when you're in a situation that you need Jesus, you fall down at his feet. And, you know, it didn't bother Jesus at all. It didn't bother him that, that, that this was one of the group that was kind of persecuting. He didn't, he didn't care, but he fell down at Jesus' feet. But as he, he said, uh, he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, talking about Jesus, he's going to Jairus' house. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, 
who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. An interesting little tidbit here. Who wrote the book of Luke? Luke, a doctor. You're right, a doctor. And he's saying the physicians couldn't help her. Spent all of her money on physicians. They couldn't help her. I I just thought that was interesting. It just kind (laughs) of, looking at my doctor here. And um, another little interesting thing in in this scripture. The daughter was 12 years old. The woman had suffered for 12 years. Is there a correlation there? Well, the only thing I can really see is that this daughter had given Jairus, her father, so much pleasure, 12 years of pleasure, and he was about to lose all that. And here's this woman who spent 12 years suffering and going through everything she had been through, and she was about to lose all that. I just think it's so cool. (laughs) She could not be healed by any. Verse 44, came from behind. This woman came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Now, they had little, you know, little tassels on their, their garments. It really, you know, Jesus should not have been able to feel this woman touching the tassel on his garments. Should not have been able to feel that. Physically, I'm talking about. Came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately, immediately, it said, I love that, immediately, her flow of blood stopped, and Jesus said, Who touched me? Now, when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? We live in a day, church attendance is declining. Um, everywhere we look, the, the way of Christianity is being attacked. Everywhere we go, there seems to be a, uh, just a, a continual attack. And we have all these people who profess Christianity, sitting in congregations, coming in, shaking hands, listening to a sermon, going home and never think about it again. And it says right here, the multitudes thronged about him. Why? Because they were looking for something. But when this woman touched Jesus in a real way, not just because they wanted to, she wanted to touch him, but she wanted deliverance from him. When we touch Jesus that way, he always knows it. He always knows it. And he knows who you are. So, but Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith. Your faith. Now, there were times that Jesus' faith was what created the miracle. But in this case, it was the lady's faith. Your faith has made you whole. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, talking to Jairus, 
Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Now see, that was me right there. Do not be afraid, but only believe. Don't worry what the doctor said. Only believe. And that's what we have to get to, folks. We have to understand that when we can just believe, just trust him. It doesn't matter who says what. The final word belongs to God. I mean, if God said it, that's the way it is. It's over. So, anyway, they go to that. I'm going to just paraphrase the rest. Uh, they go to Jairus' house, and they, they went in. And, and in those days, uh, it's kind of set the scene, there were professional mourners. And so when they, they paid them to mourn, you know, when they got to Jairus' house, now he's a ruler of the synagogue, so he's an important man. So I imagine they had people everywhere. Oh, she's dead. Oh, you know, and just wailing and crying. And, and, and it says that the, the flutes were a big part of that. And I can just hear the flutes are playing their mournful song and everything's just going, in, going on, you know. And so Jesus walks in and all this stuff's going on in the room. And he said, stop all the crying and the wailing and the weeping. The little girl's only asleep. And the scripture says here, they ridiculed him, knowing ridiculed him. They ridiculed Jesus, knowing that she was dead. But then what did Jesus do? It's you and you and you and you, get out of here. It said that he kept Peter in there and he kept James and John and he kept the mom and the dad and the rest of them, he said, don't need you. Go away. Mourners are not allowed in here. We're not going to have that. So get rid of the mourners in your life. Run them outside. Just believe what he told Jairus. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Get the mourners out of your life. When, when people begin to talk to me about the cancer and stuff, you know, and they, oh, you know, I said, Don't, no, uh, uh, I'm not going to hear all that stuff because Jesus said, I got it. And he did. And he still does. So, if you're talking to friends and they're telling you why something can't come to pass and can't happen, run them out of your house. I mean, I don't mean physically. You might have to, some of them, but, you know, I'm spiritually, run them out of your house. Get them out of your zone. Move them out of your, 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 your little area there because you don't need that unbelief in your house. In this house I'm talking about. You don't need that in there. Get them out and only go to those you can trust to agree with you in the Spirit. I can trust my wife to agree with me in the Spirit. I can trust Tommy Winberg to agree with me in my Spirit. You know, there's a few people I know I can trust. And, and I'm not just, these are not the only ones. I'm just pointing them out because, anyway. I can trust these people because they will agree with me and they're not doubters and they're going to pull my faith down. They're going to agree with me and, and we're going to see miracles work because we're in the same accord. What they do in the upper room, they were all in the same accord. Trisha's got an accord, they only hold four people, but, uh, you know. Oh, come on, that was funny. <laughs> anyway, so he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. And her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. There's that word again, immediately. And he commanded she be given something to eat. Now, 
just went through the whole chapter of Luke chapter 8. And it tells us that Jesus had authority over the natural things, the things we don't have any control over whatsoever, the wind and the, the waves and the storms. He has control over the spirits. He has control over infirmities and sicknesses and illnesses. And he takes it all the way down to he has control over the grave. So you want to live like Jesus? There you are. You have the same authority that he's got. And you can have control over the natural things and control over the spirits. And, and we, we do live in a spiritual warfare. And you can have control over the infirmities in my body and your body and, and, and your, your family's body. And you can have control over death. Now, what does that mean? It means that if I die physically, but I'm living in Jesus and Jesus is living in me, that's the only time I'm ever going to see death, ever. And then I become part of his eternity. And that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Scripture says to be anxious for nothing. But pray about everything. And that's what I want to do. Casting my cares. Casting my net over on Jesus. Now, we talked about how stress can, can mess you up and cause all these things. I read something this week that there was a study. Now, first of all, let me read this scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What's this word edify mean? Builds up. Builds on a foundation. Helps you to be strengthened. I read something about a study that, that was in Britain and also a study in the University of Pennsylvania. Both studied the same thing. That speaking in tongues helped your body to heal itself. There are two chemicals that are released by your brain when you speak in tongues that causes your body to heal itself, to improve your immune system. And it appears that this part of the brain that produces this, these chemicals only has one function, and that's to communicate in this unknown tongue with God the Father, and through that, you're strengthened. Now, listen, if anxiety can do what it does to me and speaking in tongues can turn it all around, guess what? I'm going to try to be doing more. And I mean, you know, I'm just saying me. It, that's up to you. But I, I'm thinking that I need to spend more time communicating with the Father and speaking in tongues. Now, in conclusion... In Psalms, says this. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delights my soul. So this morning, and we close here. I know, I know because we're humans, that there are some in this building today that are under stress. I know that because Scripture says that if we're born of woman, then her days are few and they're full of trouble. And we have a tendency to allow that trouble to cause anxiety in these lives. 
And if we do that, we harm not only ourselves, but those around us. And we produce no meaningful fruit for the kingdom of God. But if we can learn the little trick, like Peter said, to cast that net, cast that thing, that anxiety upon him. You don't have to hold on to it. And, it, you know, when we, we pull it back, cast it again. Don't keep it. That stuff's not meant to be kept. You know, I know people come down to the altar and they give it all to God before they go back to the seat to pick it back up and take it with them. Don't do that. Let God be God. I can't be God, so I can't handle it, but he can. I love all you guys. I appreciate you so much. And I don't want to see you sick. I don't want to see you downtrodden. I don't want to see the thorns growing up around you. I want to see you well and whole and complete. Would you stand with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm just going to ask this question. There's somebody here today that the stress is just about to overtake you. Just lift your hand up. Just right. There you go. I see that. I see that. You can put it down. Anybody else? Yeah, I know. So I'm going to pray for you right now, okay? And when I pray, I want you to cast your net, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, because you are who you are and we are who we are, Lord, anxieties build up in us sometimes. And Lord, even those, those men that went with you every day, Lord, it kept coming back and kept coming back. The anxiety and, the, and, and Lord, the, the fact that they, they couldn't quite grasp that you have control of the situation in every single case. So Lord, we cast our anxieties upon you this morning. And not only do we cast them upon you this morning, but Lord, every time, they would pull our net back in, and, and we want to draw those anxieties back to us. We remember that all we need to do is cast again, and we cast again. And we keep doing that because that's just the way we are. And Father, in the name of Jesus, knowing that you've given us the same authority that you've got, that we have authority over those things that we don't have control over. We've got authority over them. We have authority over those things that come into our life, sickness and, 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 and financial problems and all of those things. We have authority, and we're going to cast all that onto you, Lord. And because we do that, you're going to make us fruitful. Lord, that in the kingdom we will, we will grow strong. Our, Lord, our, our, our fruit will begin to produce and produce good fruit, Lord that we can take and lay before your feet on that day, that final day when we stand before you. And I want to give you praise this morning for all that gathered in this house. Lord, and I speak peace, shalom, to all that hear my voice right now in Jesus' name. And Father, if there be any here that do, does not know you as a personal Savior, right now in the name of Jesus, I just ask you, Lord, to touch their hearts. And while you're still there with your head bowed, is there anybody here that does not know the Lord? If you don't know him, just slip your hand up. Thank you, Father. I give you praise for that.
Lord, I give you praise for all that you are in Jesus' name. Give us, Lord, a good day, Lord, and help us to to meditate on your word and know what it means to us in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.